Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Welcome back to Profit First Nation, my entrepreneurial friends. Today is another value builder episode. So an episode where we really start to kind of peel back the layers on one of the eight value drivers that, uh, you know, makes the valuation of your business either, you know, go higher or cause you some problems and, and go lower. And even though, you know, most of us think, oh, I, you know, this is this is my dream. I have my company and such. You never know when you're going to have to exit your business. And that exit might be uh, a planned exit or it could be a tragic exit. And so what you want to do is just constantly be mindful of the opportunities in your business that you can be maximizing the valuation of your business. Most businesses sell for like a 3.3 a multiple on, um, on, on their earnings, uh, before taxes. And ideally the, the, the highest valuations are coming in at a seven plus multiple on earnings before taxes. So that is why we focus on these episodes where we're talking and peeling back again, the layers on one of the eight value drivers of your business, because when you're driving the value of your business, you're obviously also increasing that profitability and that profitability becomes the basis that the multiple is applied to get the valuation for your business. Basically that big check that you're cashing out on for all of your blood, sweat, tears, and forethought into getting your business at its maximum valuation. And, you know, it, this takes time, right? So this is, again, just keeping on it. You tune into this podcast because every week you're open to a new dose of, of how can you make your business better, more profitable. So today, the value driver that we are going to focus on is called the Switzerland structure. Hmm, what's the Switzerland structure? Well, let's kind of, I think you could maybe guess what it is. And, uh, you know, when you, when you think about Switzerland, I mean, Switzerland is the epitome of neutrality, right? They are not dependent upon anyone. In fact, they are in the middle of Europe and don't use the Euro for its currency. Um, they were not involved in the prior two world wars. Again, the epitome of neutrality. They're even the home of the Geneva Convention. And, you know, we just, we, we hold, we hold Switzerland in, in high regard for their neutrality. And so that same concept of that, that same sort of neutrality is the point of not being dependent upon um, one customer, not being dependent upon one employee, and not being dependent upon one vendor. So, you know, you don't want an overwhelming dependence upon one customer. You cannot be over-reliant in your business on one employee, and you don't want to have over-allegiance to one vendor. So we're going to break these down today and and talk about like what it takes and what you can do to make sure that um, you are operating a Switzerland structure when it comes to who you have as your 
customers, your employees, and your vendors, and that there is not an over-reliance on one particular of either category. So when it comes to sales, right? I mean, we're not in business if we're not making sales. And so we're gonna start here. And, and rule number one is that you can't have all of your eggs in one basket when it comes to customers and sales. Oh gosh, this brings back some just, oh, crazy memories, lots of emotion, but I started my first business at the ripe old age of 25. And guess what? I started with one customer. I started with a whale of a customer, a big customer. I started with service merchandise. Um, so I'm dating myself. Uh, and service merchandise was um, basically a sort of catalog showroom. They had over 600 locations across the country. They sold jewelry, uh, housewares, luggage, toys, et cetera. In fact, they were um, the number one retailer of jewelry in the country. They just weren't K jewelers. They just weren't inside the mall. Um, so uh, they, they, they were my first customer and I had an advertising and marketing agency and we were tapped um, by them to help them with their special events, their jewelry special events. So it wasn't like I was running everything, but it, you know, made my first business a million dollar business right out of the gate because that's what was the budget that we had um, in that first year. So I think everything's great. I start to bring on a couple of employees. We start uh, doing some, some, some media planning, start spending some money um, for campaigns, photo shoots, et cetera. And no freaking joke. A month after I opened the doors of this company, my first company, Service Merchandise filed for bankruptcy. And uh, I was just blown away um, because we had, again, spent money. And when a company files for bankruptcy, uh, the bankruptcy court can say, oh, well, um, you know, you don't have to pay these invoices. They can even, the bankruptcy court can even claw back money that had been paid to vendors and such. And so it was a very just kind of scary time. Uh, a, uh, a turnaround company came in and, and, and started doing things. They, they, they shut down locations, et cetera, and such. But that was an early <laughs> one month into business wake up call of, Oh dear, you know, I thought that I would kind of like have service merchandise and it wasn't my plan that they would be my only customer, but you know, out of the gate, I thought, oh, I've got some time here. I can really kind of like, you know, maybe just focus on them for the first six months or year of my business. And again, no way Jose was that going to, to, to happen. So, so quickly I, I had to, you know, start finding other clients and really challenge myself in in that capacity and, and do some pivoting and such and you know it did work out we, we they they stayed a client with us um they um 
They obviously eventually closed all of their stores, but we had a really, you know, lovely run with them and such. And then um, basically some people who took over that category, namely Sam's Club. I don't know why I'm going into this level of detail, um, took over that that special event jewelry category and, and then became a client of ours. But anyways, let's get back to this. So. The, the point is, is that, you know, you, you really can't have all of your eggs in one basket when it comes to your clients. Now, I like to apply the Pareto principle when it comes to clients. And because not all clients are, are good clients and such, um, but you need to have the right diversification. So um, every couple of years we go through an audit. Maybe we should do it every year, but but we definitely go through it every couple of years. And and we we look at all of our sales over that time. And then um, what we do is for our construction material supply company, um, we we sort them by um, first by by customer. So we're seeing what the total sales were by customer. And then we we sort it by uh, the the specialty that we were selling to them. Was it was it concrete? Was it rebar? Was it uh, steel stud framing and drywall, etc. And so when we when we did this, um, and and we looked at our top, um, our top 20% of customers and, and what we were selling to them, because some times we're selling to a general contractor um, multiple specialties. Uh, but we had 13 specialties that we were selling. And um, when we completed our audit and we looked at things, we ended up cutting out five of the 13 specialties. And um, when we dropped those five specialties, that actually only represented about 8% of our business. Now, there were um, three specialties that represented another 12% um, of the business, but, but even though they were small specialties, they were, they, they were applicable to our, our largest customers um, who buy multiple specialties, so, so we kept them and such. But, but we exited five specialties, and, and, and really that gives us perspective too, because when we looked at that, those specialties, those customers weren't that great of customers to begin with. And so now we're able to focus a little bit more specifically and, and, you know, there's, there's casting a wide net and then there's casting a smart net. And so, you know, when you look at your customers, um, you, you want to, you know, have a diversification of customers. And when you do this 80, 20, when you, when, regardless of what you're selling them, when you look at, you know, who are your top customers, who are the top 20% of your customers giving you 80% of your revenues, that, that you, that, that means that you need to build on that more of those type of customers. Okay. So for example, in our top 20% of customers, you know, maybe one customer is, um, you know, a, a, a million dollar customer. We'll use some easy math here. One of these customers is a, is a million dollar customer. And then we've got other customers who, you know, only bought 40,000, 50,000 with us. But what I need to do now is I need to find other customers who are, who can be the potential of being a million dollar customer. So you're constantly up leveling your business and you're getting rid of that bottom hanging fruit in your business. And again, it's, it's really quite remarkable. You know, when I talk to our accounting department or when I talk to our contracts department and such, like the, the customers 
who are just uh, require the most customer service or the most follow up when it comes to paying their invoices, et cetera, and stuff, were that low hanging fruit, though that 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 small business that I mean, kind of chump change, you know, I don't need a, a $15,000 annual customer when I have million dollar annual customers. Does that make sense? So, um, so, so take when it comes to your customers, number one, we, we don't want over, over dependence upon one customer. You, you should have a good mix of customers and, and, and you want to target the high value customers. And then you want to add more customers that are in that high value category. Uh, so that is, you know, it, I mean, of course I'm a nerd for spreadsheets and such. So, you know, dump some data into Excel and let me have at it. I could, you know, just, oh, that gets me so excited. Hopefully it gets you excited too, but that's simply all you have to do is you have to just export your sales data into a spreadsheet, start doing some sorting, start doing some looking at things and, um, and, and, you know, then up leveling and such there. Um, but then also too challenging yourself, how you can find more of those customers. So, you know, maybe, maybe only three customers represent the top 80, 80% of your total revenue and such. Well, you, you need more than three customers. You need eight or nine customers at that level of being, you know, one of your top averaging customers. Okay, so then we move on to um, number two, and that is an employee cannot be a linchpin in your organization. Um, you know, a business cannot be overly reliant on one particular employee for its success. So you can't be over reliant on one salesperson. We, we talked about this a few episodes back when we, when we said it can't be you, right? That hub and spoke you you can't the business can't be overly reliant on you but it also can't be overly reliant on one employee that is not you in your organization um and so you know this is something that is again really important to 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 vet out and and to figure out and make it happen because again you know something tragic can happen something you know can just go awry and someone who you know had every intention of being a lifer is no longer alive honestly to do the work and such so um you know one way to do this is to force your employees on an extended vacation um and 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 like we did with the hub and spoke model, you know, declare your four week vacation. And then, you know, that's sort of like the, the, the deadline to the business not being overly reliant on you as being the hub in a hub and spoke model. Um, and the same thing can happen in, in the Switzerland structure is if you have only one employee, for example, running one area, then, you know, how can you force them to go on an extended vacation? two weeks, three weeks, maybe not four weeks, but, but an extended vacation where it's like, okay, Michelle is going to be long, gone long enough that, you know, we need backup. We need people to do her job while she's away. Typically, you know, they're doing about 70 to 80% of the job when someone's away for, for that period of time and, and just keeping things going. And, and, and so you're really kind of also wanting like multiple people to be 
shouldering the burden of one person gone, not one person shouldering the, per the burden of one person gone and still doing their job, right? Ideally. And so, so this, this, this cross training, this understanding. And the interesting thing about doing this is, um, you actually start to gain some efficiencies in your business when you have someone from one area. So for example, um, you know, we took some people in our contracts department and, and, and cross trained them in the accounting department because that was a smaller department than contracts. So, um, you know, when we did that, it was kind of interesting that contracts went under the hood of accounting and saw how things were being done. And there were some ahas of like, Oh, Hey, you know, actually we could do this part and, and, and we could do this going forward or, Hey, you know, we have this information in this report. This would help you and, and, and things like that. So it actually like was a double win win. Um, our accounting department um, got some got some relief and got some ability to be able to like walk away and and not feel that when they would would come back from an extended vacation that they would be overwhelmed with work because it was eighty percent of it was being done while they were gone um, and then we got some efficiencies as well when you know two 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 departments in the same organization are kind of like actually looking under the hood and seeing what's happening and such and, and seeing how they can, um, you know, complement each other in, in a, in a more efficient way. So that is, um, you don't want one employee to be a linchpin. And so forcing the, an employee from a department or an employee who is on the verge or is a linchpin in your organization, um, really is that opportunity to, to, to make this shift and to, you know, get back into a Switzerland structure when it comes to your employees and not having that over-reliance or dependent upon dependence upon one employee. All right. And then number three, of course, if we don't want an over-dependence upon one customer, we don't want an over-dependence upon one employee, we don't want an over-dependence or a single vendor um, in in our in our wheelhouse here, um, or we, and we don't really want a significant majority of, of of material supplies or services to be you know dependent upon one vendor as well. So you know um, again, a vendor audit is is a great opportunity, and you know there there should be plenty of market share. And, and ideally, once you start getting clear about things, and and, and once you start you know, like in this process, ditching those customers who are taking a lot of your time, but only giving you, you know, paltry sales and start up leveling your customers to bigger dollar customers. Well, now you've got more demand for your, for your vendors to supply you and such. So, you know, like to a certain degree, some people think, oh, I need to do the volume and, and some vendors, to be honest, you know, they've got these, these tricks to, um, or incentives, excuse me, shouldn't use the word tricks. They have these incentives that, you know, try to get loyalty from you and your business and such. And, you know, to be honest, you might need to like look into things and, and be aware of things and such. Um, one of our vendors, uh, actually put out a, um, an incentive program that actually benefited the employees and, and not necessarily us, the business. And, you know, it, it could have swayed our, an employee to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to call such and such and place the order with them. I'm going to call such and such and place the order with them because they were getting 
points that they could then redeem for you know prizes with this particular vendor um so you just have to be weary of, of what's going on with your vendors and and why certain vendors are chosen and you know sometimes of course it's not choosing the lowest price vendor if it means that there's going to be some you know unreliability or um or or delays or quality issues etc and such um but you know you never know too when a vendor your favorite vendor might get into trouble themselves and uh and and not be able to fulfill the orders like they did so so you want to keep it again you want to be like switzerland you want to be um you know not dependent upon any one party or any one constituent not one not one not one vendor either um and uh and and there's gonna be a multitude multitude of reasons why you know you might have a pool of vendors and why some business might go to vendor x and and other business might go to vendor y and such so the vendor audit is really um important to keep it fair and and kind of interesting in in your organization as well and you have to you know you have to weigh um these incentive programs and such sometimes these incentive programs um, you know, come honestly, you know, come at a greater expense because now they're having to, to provide um, these incentives and such. So, uh, you know, I mean, we've benefited uh, one time, we benefited from something, but then when I looked at things, uh, it, it didn't make sense for us to continue using that vendor going forward, even though the prior year we had gone on a fabulous trip down under to Australia that was completely paid for and such. So. Um, you know, you, you just have to, to, to really weigh things out, be prudent, be strategic, um, be looking at your numbers, be doing these audits and analysis, not monthly, not quarterly necessarily, um, but at least twice a year, um, really, really breaking this down. Now you need to be looking at the employee stuff all the time, obviously, but when it comes to the, to the customers and to, to the vendors, you know, you want to do it periodically and no less than, 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 than every two years and such. So, uh, that is the Switzerland structure. Um, and you know, something for you to, to, to be working in and, and diving in on, uh, Remember, if you would like to work with a certified profit first professional accountant, bookkeeper, or coach, you can do that by going to profitfirstnation.com and clicking on contact. And then um, also when you click on contact, make sure that you uh, pop in and uh, send us a question. We love the questions that you give us. And remember, we answer questions on episodes ending in zero, episodes ending in five with Billy Ann, and episodes ending in eight with Mike. So we are feeding you so you're doing profit first right and not profit first-ish. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friend. Thanks for tuning in to the Profit First Nation podcast. We hope you found today's episode valuable and that it's inspired you to take action towards achieving permanent profitability in your business. If you want to learn more about how to implement Profit First in your business and connect with a community of like-minded entrepreneurs, be sure to visit us at ProfitFirstNation.com to download our how-to guides and resources. Remember, permanent profitability is within your reach and we're here to support you every step of the way. So let's do Profit First right together.
at First Nation website. Related podcasts and videos are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional.